1: Podsky, I'm Josh Smith
0: and I'm Mike Graham.
1: Mike, how you doing, buddy? It's been a pretty exciting week here in Hamilton. Uh, the Ticats are kicking ass. Our soccer team, Forge FC, just won the first ever Canadian Premier League championship. It's a really good time to be a Hamilton sports fan, I think.
0: Yeah, it is. And you also got the uh, the basketball team that started there last year. I believe they were in the finals they as well. They were.
1: They were. They, they didn't. To the finals. Uh,
0: they didn't pull it out, but uh, you know, a very successful year for Hamilton sports teams for sure.
1: I was really worried when the Hamilton Honey Badgers, that's the basketball team you're speaking of, when they got to the finals and lost. And with how good Forge had done, Forge was one of the best teams in the entire CPL this year. When it was announced that like they were, when it, they had clinched a spot in the finals, I'm thinking, oh my god, what if they lose? Is this going to be the year where like all the Hamilton teams get to the championship? They have these great regular seasons. They get to the championship game and they lose. But Forge was able to pull it out with a pair of 1-0 victories over the favored Cavalry F3 out of Calgary. So the, the the championship game was settled in Calgary. So a Hamilton team went into Calgary, a very hostile environment, playing the home team, and came out with a victory. Could that repeat itself in about three weeks? I hope so.
0: I hope so too, my friend. It's kind of funny. You mentioned that You know, the soccer team goes into home stadium and plays the team in the championship. And I believe the honey badgers went to Saskatchewan yep. and played, uh, they were the home team in, in that championship. So might be a pattern going on here, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see if, if Calgary makes it through. And uh, yeah, my fingers crossed that Hamilton would be there no matter what.
1: So should we just go out, come out and say it Calgary, Stan Peters, Hamilton, Tiger cats in the gray cup confirmed.
0: Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know that I, I, uh, I predicted that, not at the start of the season, but just a couple of weeks ago, that Calgary would make it to the Grey Cup. But I don't know, man. It's uh, Things have changed slightly uh, with the Bombers and then the Riders have first place now. So it's a definite possibility, though, that Calgary might be in the Grey Cup. That's for sure.
1: I think there is a really good possibility. I won't say probability. I won't say certainty because it's football and anything can happen. That our Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to be in the Grey Cup, Mike. 15-3. and three record 9-0 and at home for the first time ever they are just the eighth CFL team to accomplish that feat. I didn't realize that so few teams had gone 9-0 and at home I know they only been playing an 18 game schedule for you know 30 something years or whatever it is I think it was like sometime in the mid 80s I think they went to an 18 game schedule but still to be just the eighth team to go 9-0 and at home to have to tie the record for the best record ever for an East Division team there's been a lot of talk especially revolving around coach of the year that the Ty cats were expected to be this good, that the reason that Orlando Steinhauer might not be the front runner for coach of the year is because Hamilton was expected to run away with the East. We can, we can agree to that and we can enumerate the reasons why the Ticats cats had it rough this year, losing Jeremiah Mazzoli, Delvin bro, Luke Tasker, the list goes on and on. Sean Thomas, Erlington, Adrian Tracy, Jamal Westerman. Did anyone, anyone, at the beginning of the year, predict a fifteen and three record for the Ty Cats. <clears throat> Pardon me. I, I don't think so. Like maybe you're probably thinking twelve and six, maybe thirteen and five if things bounce bounce the right way. But fifteen and three, I don't think there's anyone out there, even even the most homerish of us Ty Cat fans, I don't think anyone would have predicted fifteen and three to end the regular season.
0: No, I I know, I sure didn't. You know, I thought this team is very talented, uh very well coached, you know, Everything was in place, but I just had that, uh, you know, negativity in the back of my brain as being a Ticats fan that they'd finish nine and nine no matter what. And obviously, I was wrong and, and glad to be wrong. Fifteen and three is a is a dream record. That's a, you know, that's a that's a Stampeders record or, or a very good team, obviously. But uh, no, not my wildest dreams. Maybe eleven wins, maybe, um, but fifteen, no way.
1: And. They've won, I think, it's 10 of their last 11. And the one loss was a one-point loss to Calgary on Mm a blocked field. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this team has been rolling since about the beginning of August. Like, they lose to the Riders in Dane Evans' first game as a starter. And ever since then, they've pretty much been unstoppable. This game in particular was... It was rough. I think it's fair to say. This was not the most entertaining of football games. The Ticats did win. However, they beat the Toronto Argonauts, uh, what was it, 21-18, to I think, was the final. Something like that. You know what? It, it it's yeah. such an unmemorable game um, that it's it's tough to to even remember. Ah, yes, I'm looking at the score right now. 21-18, I was correct. Score! Um, there's not a ton, really, to talk about this. There's, there's positives and negatives, but this was a game played mostly with backups. This was game... That was was really two teams playing in a game that, that didn't matter. But the one major positive from this, and the first thing I want to talk about, is K- the play of Cam Marshall. 18 carries for a buck-oh-nine, two touchdowns, three catches for 24 yards. He was an absolute stud out there. And I know he had played earlier in the year and played really well, but this might have been the best game I've seen from a Ticats running back since, like, Sean Thomas Erlington got hurt. way back in in july this this was a very very i mean he gets 21 total touches that's awesome for a running back that's that's when you know a guy's involved i thought cam marshall played out of his mind
0: yeah i I liked what he did earlier on in the season and uh this game he really stepped it up a notch uh you know the offensive line did a great job opening up holes for him but he was just uh running over people out there he's a he's a fun player to watch because because he's a he's a bulldozer um you he know, also had two touchdowns on the night. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident with who we have in the backfield right now. Cameron Marshall and Terrell Sutton. I know that, you know, there's racial issues. Maybe they, they won't be able to play, um, get on this, the, the field at the same time. But uh, either one, uh, I'm happy with.
1: Yeah, it would be... It would be difficult to get both of them on the game day roster but man would it be fun to be able to have both of these guys two guys they play somewhat similarly both both kind of bruisers but they both are able to show speed and and Marshall in this one I think it was he was running guys over don't get me wrong but there were some times when he would break it to the outside and pick up you know 10 12 15 yards on a carry because of, of his vision and this is something that I've noticed about Terrell Sutton as well their their field vision is just tremendous uh you mentioned it on Twitter because you were made in the Podsky account. You tagged me in a in a, in a a tweet, and you were 100% right, Mike. When I saw the draw play for the touchdown, I got a giant grin on my face. That was one of the most beautifully executed draw plays I have seen in quite some time. And obviously the reason that you tagged me in that is we've talked about this, that the draw play and the screenplay when they're done to perfection are two of my favorite plays in football. And man, oh man, that was a beauty.
0: Yeah, it was. not an- you know, it, it's tough to watch when draw plays don't work. Yes. Same with uh, screen plays as well, but especially draws because, you know, there's that the the possibility of getting stuffed, you know, five yards in the backfield. But obviously on this one, uh, that did not happen.
1: You got to give a little kudos here to the offensive line, I think. Um, playing, I think, four or five starters. Sad, I think Darius Sirocco was the only starting player to play in this game on the offensive line they paved the way for marshall to have over 100 yards rushing and they allow one sack i didn't feel like the quarterbacks were pressured all that much for an offensive line that was predominantly backups i thought they had a hell of a game
0: yeah they played well and once again you know it seems like every single position um there's a tremendous amount of depth now i know that they were playing the Toronto Argonauts, but uh, they did, they did a, a great job out there.
1: You know who else did a great job? And this I'm sure this is going to make you happy. Luke Tasker, seven catches for 90 yards, the leading receiver on the team. It's just so nice to see him back out there playing football, and he looked so involved in this. A lot of people were wondering, oh, is he out there because maybe he's not a starter anymore? And no, it's he needed to get his his legs back under him after missing like eight weeks, nine weeks, or whatever it was. It was, it was a long time. He'd been out since like, mid-August, if I'm not mistaken. So to see him back out there contributing, catching balls downfield, too, there were a couple of uh, of longer passes that he, that he he caught down there, so it was nice to see him sort of get out there and, and be the playmaker that he can be. I know you were happy watching it at home, were you not?
0: Oh, yeah, my best friend, Luke Tasker, it's, uh, it's great to see him back. You know, you mentioned he had some, uh, you know, long, longer catches. Uh, he had a long 24, so... You know the guy can get downfield as well and make those clutch catches over the middle. So, uh, to have Luke Taster back uh, made my heart a little fuller. It was it was great to see.
1: And he had a couple a couple of the catches were some of Hayden Moore's better throws in this. And I guess we kind of have to talk That's about the quarterback. This might have been the only negative, offensively speaking, from the game. Is Hayden Moore very much? looked like a rookie in this one 18 for 28 for 218 yards no touchdowns and the big one four interceptions which could have easily been six because two of them were called back due to penalties on the Argos not exactly the debut performance I think Mr. Moore was looking for
0: no you you know guys like him that are you know behind the starting quarterback whether it be second string or third string when they get in there, they got to take advantage uh, of their opportunities. And you know, Hayden had he had s- struggles. Um, you know, at times he looked okay, but that four interceptions not going to look good on the stat sheet. When you know, when quarterbacks get in there, the, this is their opportunity to show the rest of the league that hey, maybe this guy could be a starter. And he did not show that on uh, on this occasion.
1: Well, and a year ago at this time, it was Dane Evans who was given the opportunity in almost an exactly similar scenario. The Ticats are resting players. They were locked into their playoff position. That time it was second place in the East. This time, obviously, it's first place in the East. And Jeremiah Mazzoli sat. Dane Evans came in. Uh, looked okay. I don't think what we saw of him in that game is something that we could have foreseen how great he's become this year. One of the rising stars in this league. But he looked more than competent as a starting quarterback. I can't say the same for Hayden Moore. Not that he can't develop at some point into a, into a decent quarterback, but from this one outing, it definitely looks like there's a long road to go. And some of those interceptions, the the, the the thing that stands out about them, one was a pick six on a throw that, like, I watched it come out of his hands and and I knew it was gone. Like, I knew it was going the other way. You know what I mean? And then there was one where he threw, he threw two in the end zone. One was called back, but one was not. Those are the types of plays. Those are swing plays, right? Like, he gives up six points. He potentially took at least three, if not six, off the board. I mean... Again, like I say, I'm not going to say like he's he'll never be anything because I think people are too quick to judge, especially quarterbacks, right away and say no that's it they're done um, after one start. So anything's possible, but I do think that that there's there's a ways to go before I really want to see Hayden Moore back on the football field for the Tie Cats.
0: Yeah, I think he has a couple more years of sitting behind guys, learning the game a little bit better, and and then we'll see where it goes from there. But you know another quarterback that got in the game, David Watford. Uh, I believe he was just on the last drive of the game or maybe he had two drives. I can't remember, but...
1: I think he came in earlier in the game. I think Moore got hit and came out, if I recall, and then Watford went in for a handful of plays and then I think they either punted or kicked a field goal or whatever it was and then Moore came. I can't remember what it was. I, I, just, I just remember that Watford did come in at some point, but anyways, I, right. sorry to cut you off.
0: No, it's all good, and he, but he, he looked pretty good. You know, five of eight. Uh, 74 yards, along uh, of 36, and he, he engineered that drive to get us into field goal range so Haralahu, Haralahu could put it through the uprights and we could uh, walk out the field with another win. So, you know, he's not really known for being a great thrower, David Watford, although he hasn't really had a chance to show it that much, but uh, I like what I saw from him.
1: I agree. I think he did enough in very, very limited action. To be considered this team's number two quarterback, quite frankly, there were a couple of throws on that last drive. One to David Ungerer, which was a great catch by the yes. rookie, uh, but it was a great throw by David Watford. And then there was another where Mike Jones came back on on a like Watford threw it to a spot, Jones came back to get it, dodged a tackler, picked up some extra It might have been, I don't know if it was if if that it might have been the second to last play of, of of the series when Jones made the catch. I thought those two throws and the way that Watford kind of composed himself, I think it really showed that he should probably, going into the playoffs, be considered the true number two quarterback.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Just based on the performance today, or last week, it, was, uh, it wasn't it was pretty for Aiden, and, and David showed some things. So, God forbid if something happens, I, I, I think I'd rather have uh, Watford under center than uh, than Moore.
1: Yeah, I mean, if either of those guys come in in a playoff situation, that's not an absolute blowout for the Ticats, like, I mean, I think we're in trouble either way, but uh, defensively speaking, not a ton to really talk about in this one. Again, a lot of backups played in this game. The one thing I did notice, and I'm curious if you noticed as well, there was some, there's some poor tackling in this one, both in the area of like bringing down receivers and running backs, and also in trying to bring down Dakota Prukop. And, you know, all due respect to him and and Michael O'Connor, they both... They both were able to evade some, some oncoming rushers, but it seemed like there were times when he was shedding guys and guys were just slipping off him. It's one of those things where we're kind of looking for something to talk about here, I think. But at the same time, it was something I noticed throughout the game. It was, made me wonder, like, with all the pressure they were because they got after these guys. They only got, I think they only got one sack, maybe two. Uh, I'm going to have to look. But they, yeah, were get, they, we they were getting after these guys, and they only brought him down... Uh, yeah, they brought down two. yeah, you're right. They had two, they had two sacks in this game, but imagine if this was Ja'Gara Davis, Dylan Wynn, guys like that in there, they would have eaten these guys for lunch, but the, the, the piss poor tackling is something that really sort of stood out to me defensively speaking.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when the starters are in there, they'll, they'll get the job done. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that needs to be, Spoken about before we go into the playoffs, you know, it, it just wrap up, make the tackle. It doesn't have to be a big hit. Just uh, get the guy on the ground because, you know, it's going to be important, obviously, uh, in, in the Eastern Final.
1: Special teams-wise, we had another trick play from our buddy Jeff Reinbold, the onside punt. Again, these types of things in these scenarios, what did we see? Was it an onside kick against Ottawa? Yeah, it was against Ottawa a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people were like, why are we... Why are we trying these plays? Why are we giving these, these tips out in a meaningless game? I, I thought it was a great way to practice it, quite frankly. Uh, I want to give a, a hat tip to our global player, whose name I'm going to butcher, Valentine Ganua. I know that that's not right, but he's the one that laid the hit that allowed for Justin Tuggle to recover the loose ball. It was... Onside punts, it's it's very CFL. It's it to me, it's one of the coolest plays we have in our league, and it was nice to see the Ty Cats once again, as they've done for the all the years Jeff Reimbold was here, able to execute this to near perfection.
0: Yeah, and I don't have a problem with them doing it in a meaningless game. You know, it's it's hard to practice that. Um, you know, in practice, it, it's better to get it. You know, in a live situation, a live game. Uh, I don't think we're tipping our hat to you know anything we're going to do in the playoffs. I think. That's so uh, whatever whatever we have planned you know we might have done early on in the season but uh, you know practice makes perfect so I have no problem with them attempting it here
1: and it wasn't one of those ones where we've seen in the past where the ball's laying on the ground and like I, do you remember I think it was AJ Jefferson who's now what Anthony Orange I think he changed his name to do you remember when what? he had you remember when he had one what do you mean what
0: he did that? He changed yeah. his name to Anthony Orange? I'm
1: pretty sure A.J. Jefferson is now Anthony Orange.
0: No way.
1: I'm almost positive.
0: Wow, I didn't hear that about that. Are you, are you messing with me?
1: I'm not. You know what? I'm going to look it up right now. Just because I, I'm i fairly certain that know. they're the same person. I don't person. know, man. Uh, Anthony Orange, previously named A.J. Jefferson.
0: Oh, I'll be damned. Yep. Okay. Well. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: play for the Argos, right. the Red Blacks, the Riders, Edmonton, B.C., and now he's back in Edmonton.
0: That's yeah. very interesting. I See? did not know that. Okay, I'm learning things. See,
1: there you go. But remember where there was oh, years ago there was an onside? Oh, that might not have been an onside punt. That might have been the kicker coming down and recovering it. But anyway, I digress. I mean, I mean, I was, I was might have been wrong what the play was, but at least we now figured out that you know who Anthony <laughs> Orange is. Yes. Um, But the tie Cats have been known to, like, do these sort of razzle-dazzle plays, and and they've executed them. But this one was was executed differently, where you normally see the onside player go down and, like, recover the ball. This was – the Argos returner caught it, and he was just flat-out hammered by our global guy, and he just fumbled the ball. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those hits you see in the NFL because they don't have the no yards, obviously. And if a pump returner doesn't call fair catch, he can get leveled. And that's what we kind of saw here was – he just didn't see it coming like he's he's probably catching the ball going wow this is 15 yard penalty not realizing those guys are on side you can see absolutely it was it was just a thing of beauty but it was neat that it was like a different way for this to have worked out
0: right yeah and uh shows a lot of heart and passion from that guy to uh lay the big boom uh and get the ball back for the team so thumbs up to him
1: so that's kind of it for this game really there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about, Mike. So why don't we get to our Podsky Player of the Week who, I mean, this was a slam dunk, was it not?
0: Yes. Who is it, Josh? You don't remember who we picked. There we go. Cam Marshall. <laughs> 18 carries. <laughs> 18 carries, 109 yards, a 6.1 yard average, a long of 20, and two touchdowns. He, he played well earlier on in the season. But uh, I believe this was his best outing. Cameron Marshall is their Podsky Player of the Week.
1: All right, I guess it wasn't so much a slam dunk because Mike forgot who we picked, but that's okay. We're in we're 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 in bye week mode, ramping up for yes. the playoffs. Uh, let's talk some some news. There's not a ton. I mean, award season is upon us, so the first thing we're going to talk about here is the Tiger Cats award nominees. In my opinion, Mike, and I'm curious about yours. None of these are really all that surprising. Brandon Banks, stunningly, you know, note my sarcasm, was named MOP of the team. Simone Lawrence, most outstanding defensive player. Brandon Revenberg, top Canadian. Chris Van Zyl, top offensive lineman. Jalen Acklin, most outstanding rookie. And Frankie Williams was selected as the most outstanding special teams player. Any of these that you would quibble with? I mean, for me, these were all pretty much... There's one thing we'll talk about in a second that has to do with Canadian offensive linemen, but the rest just, was there really anybody else for these awards?
0: No, I'm in full agreement with the, with the selections.
1: The weird (laughs) thing is though, is Brandon Revenberg, Canadian offensive lineman named top Canadian, Chris Van Zyl, Canadian offensive lineman named top offensive lineman. That's a weird vote split there. I don't know how this happened quite frankly, But you would think if one was considered the top Canadian or one was considered the top offensive lineman, they should have been both, no?
0: Yeah, you would think so. Maybe they just, um, you know, the the offensive linemen performed so well over the year. They just wanted to, uh, you know, give some love to Revenberg and also Van Zyl. But uh, it is a little bit strange. I will admit that.
1: If I recall correctly from my time as a voter, you pick a first place you pick your number 1 and your number 2 for each award. And if there's a tie, like I know there's there's five voters now for some reason the awards voting trimmed off. Like I think there was like eight or nine of us back when I voted and they've trimmed that down which to me is absolutely idiotic, but that's a that's another topic for another time. It's just stupid to me that you would take away voices and this it seems like the more opinions here, I think the better Idea we get of of who should win these things, but that's just me. I if I recall, it's you pick your top and then you pick your second. And I could I wonder if both of these guys were one or two, and then one of them wasn't two. Like let's say Brandon Revenberg had two first place votes and three second place votes for most outstanding Canadian, and Chris Van Zile had two first-place votes, and two second-place votes because someone else voted for, I don't know, Tunde Adela or something, you know what I mean? Then that's how that happened, whereas the other one, they probably were 1-2 on everyone's ballot. Like, I don't know. It's just – I can see how it could happen. It's just so strange that two Canadian offensive linemen would be up for two different awards. It's just – it's a weird quirk that I don't think I've ever seen before.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I don't think I've ever seen that either, but uh, both – uh well deserving of some awards so uh i i'm happy to see both those guys get recognized
1: i think that the finalists will be announced later this week after we record so next week we'll probably talk about them but if you're looking at this these lists of nominees um we've talked about it for weeks brandon banks is going to win mlp i don't think there's any debate there do you think the ticats can win any of these other ones
0: Oh, sure. I think that uh, there's a possibility of it. I mean, Chris Van has had a spectacular year at uh, the tackle position. I tweeted out uh, probably about an hour ago that I would take our tackles over any combination of tackles in this league right now. Riker Matthews and Chris Van Zyl uh, are the best at their positions. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Van Zyl got the nod.
1: They, they literally are. They're both all-stars.
0: So they
1: were... Uh... Yep. They were, I mean, whether they're league all star, we'll get to the division all stars in a second, but I mean, Simone Lawrence should probably win most outstanding defensive player. Led the league in tackles, led the league in defensive plays, and he did this all playing in 16 games because of the two game suspension. And I know that there's a lot of morons out there comparing the Andrew Harris suspension, and we'll talk about Harris in a second, to Simone's suspension. Not the same thing. One was suspended for what he did on the field and that's part of the game. The other guy was suspended for for cheat trying to cheat. You know, or actually not even trying. He got caught cheating. And he can talk about samples and whatever he wants and trace amounts and tainted supplements and all that sort of garbage. He got caught. He start- there's a difference to me in those two suspensions. There's no question of what, whether what stats Lawrence put up which ones are tainted or not. There is that with Harris. So anyone making the, the distinction of Oh, well, they were both suspended two games, so neither of them deserve it. You're out to lunch. I don't. Yeah, it, you, I don't know if totally he will win difference. it, Mike. I really don't know because I think there's some really. Like I think Enoch Mwamba has a good shot at getting the East nomination, and I think Willie Jefferson is, 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 is maybe the front runner for this. But Simone Lawrence had a hell of a season, and if he used to win Most City Defensive Player, I would not be surprised.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean. You know, last year we had Dean, and he seemed to be, um, you know, he he took control of the linebackers, and uh, he was the he was the main guy. Simone kind of took a back seat, but this year he's front and center. He's the main linebacker, and he and he showed it on the field with his stats and his play. So, yeah, I would not be surprised if if he if he got the nod for the East, and and uh, it was a close vote for the Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he he deserves it. He's had a tremendous year, and the Andrew Harris comparison thing is just uh that's just a dumb thing to 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 talk about. I mean, they're not even relatively close at all. So, yeah, I, I like Simone. He's done, he's had a tremendous year, so I wouldn't be surprised.
1: What do you how do you feel about Andrew Harris not getting nominated for any of the awards for the voters in Winnipeg to take it upon themselves to say you got caught using PEDs? And we think that should disqualify. There's no rule in the CFL that says a player suspended for PEDs cannot be eligible for postseason awards. There is in the NFL. I'm pretty sure there is in the NBA, as well as Major League Baseball. I'm not sure about the NHL. They have their head in the sand about drug usage in hockey, so it wouldn't surprise me if there isn't uh, a rule in place that disqualifies them because hockey is stupid in that respect. But there isn't a rule in the CFL. So Andrew Harris was eligible. And. Based on the numbers he put up, probably should have been the nominee for Most Outstanding Canadian for the Bombers. But the voters there took it upon themselves to not nominate him. Instead, it was, I believe, Willie Jefferson was MOP. And I think it was Mike Miller, special teams coverage guy, who was Most Outstanding Canadian. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on this? Do you think it was right of the voters in Winnipeg to take a stand here and to sort of take it upon themselves to not give Harris a nomination? Or do you think that he's on the ballot, he should have been considered, and he maybe even should have won it?
0: No, I'm impressed by what they did. You know, I know it's hard for uh, people close to the team to, you know, that, that might know Andrew Harris and uh, like Andrew Harris and all that stuff. But uh, I was impressed that they they took this stance because, you know, they could have went the opposite direction. I know there was, you know, one or two guys that in Winnipeg who, uh, did want him to be that that top Canadian representative, but uh, you know I was happy with them. I I think they did a solid thing.
1: I think it took guts. I, I yeah to kind of piggyback on what you said. These are guys that cover the team that have to go and talk to Andrew Harris, and a couple of them went public saying we didn't vote for him, and this is why. And obviously the reason why is that is is a suspension for PED usage. I I, I think that's a very you know, to use this word in in the smallest sense you can think of, it was brave for them to go out and do that. You know what I mean? Like that, that takes some guts. I think the CFL needs to this offseason implement a rule that says if you're suspended for PEDs, you're not eligible for postseason awards. Then you then you don't have to worry about this debate springing up a year from now for all the changes the CFL makes to things that are unnecessary. This, to me, seems like the easiest thing in the world to get fixed so that we don't have to deal with this, should he, shouldn't he, a year from now or five years from now or ever again.
0: Yeah, it's it's an easy fix. It uh, can be quickly implemented. So I would, um, I, I would think that they would do that in the offseason quickly.
1: So do you remember at the beginning of the season when you and I sat down and did our predictions for the year we did how everything would finish. We picked our award nominees. I think we might have picked our award winners. And we did the over-unders. We're going to get to that in a a few weeks. We're going to go back and look at all those. But at that time, we decided we weren't going to select the most outstanding rookie candidates because of how difficult it is at the beginning of the season to know which of these guys is going to get a chance, who's going to play, all that other sorts of stuff. So I... Put it on the show. Shout it out to listeners. Put it on Twitter. Said, if you can select, if you correctly select who wins most outstanding rookie this year, free t-shirt from the shop, free any piece of merchandise you want from our t-shirt shop. We now have our most outstanding rookie candidates, and we got 12 submissions last year. We're down to two people. Jalen Acklin. Someone picked Jalen Acklin, and someone picked Nate Hawley from Calgary. That's it. Those are it. The other picks there was uh, Jonathan Kongbo. Uh, you know what? Let me pull up. I'll, I'll I'll bring them up and I'll I'll tell you what all of them were because looking back on it, you're like, oh man, I forgot about that guy, uh, Jonathan Kongbo, uh, Crockett from Ottawa, which isn't if, if he would have played all season, I think he would have had a really good chance to win that award. Uh, Drew Dager Lake, Jalen Acklin. Shane Richards, Nate Hawley, Max Zimmerman, Paul McRoberts, Nikola Kalinic, who was... I knew he wasn't going to win it, but man, he's my dude. Uh, Alex Fontana, Lucky Whitehead, and Carlos Henderson. So some names in there that we maybe have forgotten about already, uh, and a few that will be around this league for some time to come. But we are down to Sandra, who picked Jalen Acklin, and Deb, who picked Nate Hawley. I don't think either of those guys are going to win the award. I think this is going to come down to Dakota Shepley and Jake Wieneke from Montreal. So, I mean, congrats to Deb and Sandra for at least getting the two team nominees correct. Obviously, yeah. that's better than you and I would have done at the beginning of the year, but I guess we'll have to wait and see as to who pulls down the divisional nominations and then who ultimately wins the award. But they're our last two standing as of right now.
0: Yeah, thumbs up to them. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's so hard to pick rookie of the year candidates at the start of the season in the cfl because you have to consider you know did they play in the nfl and you know uh, many factors so so thumbs up to them for getting you know at least partially right
1: all-star time mike the ticats had 13 players selected as east division all-stars it's a who's who it's the guys you expected brandon banks braylon addison chris van Zyl, Riker matthews brandon revenberg Our boy Dylan Wynn. Oh, speaking of, did you see that he responded to our inquiry about Rick Ruder Valvinus?
0: Yes, I did. And
1: in case you don't follow us on Twitter, just listen to the show. Uh, It's really kind of neither. He said he needed a sack dance playing with Sean Lemon, I guess when they were in Toronto together. And he did the swivel hips, and someone gifted it, so it took on a life of its own, so he kept it. But he did say... He does not cut his hair during the regular season. So therefore, in his opinion, it's ravishing Rick Rude. So we have – we can now say it's Rick Rude-inspired. Can we not?
0: Yes, we can, and uh, I'm glad that it's Rick Rude. No no offense to Val Venus, but uh, you know, Rick Rude's the original, and uh, he absolutely. did it best. So. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Uh, okay, so uh, digression aside – Wynn was an all star. Kagarit Davis, Simone Lawrence, Delvin Bro, Richard Leonard, Tunde Adelake, Liram Hirolahu, and Frankie Williams. All of them, I believe, are well deserving. I am a little surprised that Delvin Bro, who missed like half the season, I believe, with injury, was named a division all star. But that's really the only guy on this list that I would go. I would scratch my head about. I think that that has a little bit more to do with his name recognition than maybe the season he had in 2019.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, you know, as you mentioned he was out for a long period of time with injury and then and also he wasn't exactly his shutdown self, so uh yeah, I, I'm not sure if he totally deserves the All-Star nod this season, but uh, the the guy's an All-Star in general for sure.
1: Thirteen All Stars is plenty, but there are four guys that I think should have also been considered. Karyell Brooks, who was an All Star last year, was not named one this year. He was beaten out for the halfback spot by Greg Reed. So I, you can't quibble too much. I think Greg Reed had a had a very very good season. So I mean you can't give everyone in the Titans the All Star nomination, but I feel like Karyell Brooks maybe maybe. Got a little under the radar. Rico Murray was another guy that I thought had a tremendous year at Sam linebacker. He was beaten out by Patrick Levels, which is, again, you go, okay, Patrick Levels had a really good year with the Alouettes, but I still think Rico should have been given some sort of recognition. Mike Filer, I think to me, Mike, should have been the all-star center from this team. I don't know if you saw the piece written about him about uh, him coming back this year and how the team took him aside and said, you've gotten too heavy, you're slower, you're not as good as you used to be. I think Steve Milton wrote it for the Spec about a week or so ago, and he took it upon himself to trim down, to, to take care of himself more. I think it's something like he's down like 40 pounds or something like that from his playing weight last year. And uh, I think it showed. I think he had a tremendous year this year. And last but not least, this is going to be maybe the biggest debate we have, probably the only one we're going to have here. I think Dane Evans should have been the the quarterback over Vernon Adams. I know Vernon Adams had a great year. I think Dane Evans was better. I, I really do. I think if you look at what they both did, I mean, I think Adams played four more games than Evans did. I think their numbers are very comparable. And you you look at just what Evans has done week in, week out. I I, I got to be honest with you, Mike. I think he should have been the the nominee at, at quarterback here.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one, um, maybe because Vernon Adams played more games. That's why he got the nod. But, you know, he had 24 touchdown passes. Dane Evans had 21, so he's, you know, pretty damn close, especially when you consider the uh, game difference. Um, rushing TD's Vernon Adams had 12, so that that's probably one that of the big... That might be
1: what... Did, you know what I mean? Because everything else is relatively close. I don't think Evans has even half of that amount in rushing TDs. So that might be... Yeah. But I would yeah, be my- curious to look go look back on his rushing TDs. How many of them are the one-yard plunges? Because mm-hmm. in that scenario... And this is no knock on, on Adams. I think he's a he's a worthy all-star QB for the East. I just think Evans is slightly better. Like, to me, this isn't an egregious... This isn't like... They selected him, and it's like, how dare they? Like, this, it's not like they put, chose Dominic Davis as the all-star QB. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is varying degrees, but it's, it's something for us to talk about. I'd yeah. be curious to go back and look and see how many of those touchdowns that Adams scored were designed runs versus one-yard QB plops, as you, you so eloquently call them. Because Dane Evans isn't asked to do that in the Cats offense, at least not after he took over the starting role. I think David Watford has something like six rushing touchdowns this year. So, I don't know if if eight of those are designed runs from and and they're not just plunges. Okay, you know what? I rescind this. Adams deserves it, but I think it's something like the opposite. I think it's like eight to ten of those are just him going over one yard. And if if yeah. Antonio Pipkin is asked to do that, or Matthew Schilt is asked to do that, is Dane is uh is Dane Evans the all star quarterback over Vernon Adams? Probably
0: probably and then you look at the passing yards too and what'd you say four more games than Evans um Adam, Adams had and they're only uh, about less than 200 yards apart in, in the passing yards so you know I I'm gonna have to agree with you here I think Dane Evans performed better overall this season uh and and you're right Vernon Adams is a great great quarterback a great story Um, an exciting guy to watch, which is great for the league and great for Montreal as a franchise. So um, I'm not too upset about it like you, but uh, if I had the choice, I'd probably lean Evans.
1: I think I would too. Okay, Mike, it has been a huge week in the CFL for coaching. I guess we should start with the first one. And that is Rick Campbell quit the Ottawa Red He wasn't fired. He had a year left on his deal and he opted to leave what do you what do you think about this, Mike? Were you t- taken off guard that because this happened, what like two, three days after the season ended, and he announced he was resigning? Uh, did, were you shocked?
0: I was pretty surprised. Um, you know, you and I, if we had to choose the blame for the Ottawa Redblacks, it would have been Marcel Desjardins. And I know that uh, Campbell quit on his own, but obviously. Um, and the report, he he talked about it. You know, they just didn't have a good relationship. Uh, and you hear that a lot, it, it seems, with Marcel Desjardins. Um, you know, the players aren't very fond of him. There's not much communication going on. So I, I think Ottawa, if they, if they keep Desjardins, which it looks like they're going to, I think they're going to have a tough time bringing in coaches, bringing in players. Um, you know, this could be a start of a of a downward spiral for this Ottawa franchise. And, you know, you you don't want to see any franchise really, you know, nosedive like that, but, uh, you know, it could be tough to turn this thing around. It might be, uh, it might be a long rebuild here, Josh.
1: I mean, I don't think it'll be hard just in the sense that there's only so many head coaching jobs to go around in professional football and guys who get the opportunity, maybe they won't attract the best candidate, but someone's going to take that. It's not like they're going to go into the season without a head coach. You know what I mean? Like someone, someone is going to get the opportunity to do this. Um, We'll talk about whomever that is when they are hired. And there are obviously a lot of names floating around and we're going to talk about Devon Claybrook getting fired in BC in a second, but I, I do want to talk about Campbell and, I just want to say, I'm not dancing on anyone's grave. I'm not sitting here patting myself on the back or anything like that. I've taken my shots at the Red Blacks and and felt the wrath of their fan base. But I know a lot of people are going to place the blame on Dejardin for all of this. And we will, I do want to talk about him and his role in a second. But we got to talk about Campbell and kind of debunk, I guess, a few things that some people believe about him. I know he's held in very high esteem by Red Blacks fans, because he did coach them to their first championship in what, like 40 years was the first time that Ottawa football team had won a, a Grey Cup. But as a head coach, his record was 44-62-2. and And you take away the Grey Cup victory, which he won, and, and you know what? If they they were an under 500 team, they won the Grey Cup. If the Ticats were 9-9 and every year and won the Grey Cup every other year, I wouldn't care. So I understand why, why Red Blacks fans... Don't care. So he he won the Grey Cup, got to two others, but I think maybe, and this is probably going to piss off a few people in Ottawa. The East Division in the last five years since Ottawa came into it has been a bit of a shit show, and I think that the Red Blacks may have benefited from that more than any other team in the division. In twenty fifteen, they go twelve and six and get to the Grey Cup because the Ty Cats lost Zach Caleros, and I'll say it now. I'll say it. Then I'll say it in the future. Zach Claros plays healthy. The Ticats run away with the gray cup that year. I don't think anyone outside of Ottawa really disputes that in 2016, they win the division with eight wins in what may have been one of the worst East divisions in history. The Ticats made the playoffs that year at seven and 11. Like I Mm -hmm. I looked it up. There was the, the 1981 East division, uh, the Ottawa rough riders at five and 11 and the three and 13 Montreal Alouettes made the playoffs. Uh, Ottawa got to the great cup and nearly beat that dynasty Edmonton team. They lost by three. And I think they were up like 23 to three at halftime. So like a five and 11 Rough Riders nearly go in and knock off the Warren moon led uh, Edmonton Eskimos. Like that would have been crazy. Right. So maybe that division was worse than this one, but I mean, the East division in 2016 was, was really bad last year, maybe the first year where their success wasn't really due to outside factors. You know what I mean? Like they had the best team. The Owls and the Argos did suck, and the Thai Cats didn't live up to expectations, but they were relatively healthy. They had everything go their way, and the Red Blocks were just better. So last year, I think, was maybe the... That was the year that it felt like, okay, Ottawa's finally... They're going to become Calgary East. You know what I mean? And then this year, it just... They lose everyone, and this thing just goes absolutely into the toilet. I do think Campbell is a good coach. I do. I just don't think he's as good as Red Blacks fans. Like, they put him in, like, the John Huffnagel, Dave Dickinson conversation right now, and I don't think that he's mm-hmm. in that. I think, like I said, they're the one team that benefited the most from the terribleness of the East over the last decade, and that's. I'm not trying to take anything away from their success, but they got to a great Cup and won a Grey Cup as an under-500 team. They got to two more, one absolutely 100% earned, which was last year. They were the best team by far in the East Division a year ago. I just don't know if if he's, I think that, that that one championship has people thinking he's better than he is. And again, I say, I think he's a good coach, but I don't know if he's one of the best coaches in the CFL.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I wouldn't put him up in that uh, upper echelon as well. So, yeah, and it's hard to really believe in a coach that always looks confused. But uh, <laughs> I digress on that one. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that his record's not great, obviously. Um, and but this year, you know, he took a lot of those losses this year, um, and he just he just didn't have the talent. So. Um, you know, I think, I think the wrong person lost his job. I I still think that, uh, the GM should have been the guy to uh, fall on the knife.
1: And let's talk about the GM. And this is where I will take a little bit of a victory lap because I said since day one, when he was hired by the red blacks, that I thought Marcel Desjardins was a fraud. And I will completely admit that the reason I thought that that was the case was his two year run. As Ticats general manager in 06 and 07, left a very sour taste in my mouth. Those were years where the Cats were expected to finally, 03, they go 1-17. and 17. They make the playoffs in 04. 05, I think they go something like 3-15, and 4-14. I don't remember. 06, they bring in Desjardins. He's the, he's the man behind the man in Montreal. He was Jim Pop's right-hand man. We're getting Montreal's guy. He's going to turn it around. Two seasons here, the Ticats were absolutely awful. 4-14, Four and 3-15, didn't even come close to the playoffs. I mentioned Campbell's record as a head coach. DeJardan's Dan's record as a general manager, 51-91-2. and two. So when he was hired in Ottawa, at best, I would say I was skeptical. And then the Red Blacks succeeded, won a Grey Cup, made three, made the playoffs most years, and a lot of fans were like, you don't know what you're talking about, you're an idiot, all that sorts of stuff. I kind of just said, just wait. You'll see the real Marcel Desjardins show up sooner or later. And then this past off season happened, and Ottawa lost everybody. Lost their best quarterback, top receiver, lineman, running back. Everyone on mass kind of left Ottawa. The losing started, and then in the aftermath of Campbell quitting, now you're seeing a lot of guys say, just like you said, the wrong guy got got let go. I don't want to say I told you so. But I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. Marcel Desjardins, I think, isn't a very good general manager. I think he... His success in Ottawa was tied to them being able... They they spent so little that first year. Like, wasn't... Like, their top receiver, their top running back... they, they, They brought in Burris, and that was it. Everything else was... Like, I, Can you name another guy that played on that first team other than Burris and Antoine Pruneau? Because I don't remember any of them.
0: <clears throat> no, not the, not at the top of my head. Definitely not.
1: Then they go into the offseason and have a ton of money to spend. And they go and they get Ernest Jackson. And they get Chris Williams. Oh, John Williams. God. Haha <laughs> ha. Ah, there you go. John, okay, very good. So you remembered one. <laughs> but they go and get Chris Williams. They get Greg Ellingson. They get Ernest Jackson. They get Brad Sinopoli. They load up that team because they had so much money to spend and then they start to win. And they had a great year, 12 and 6. Lose the Great Cup. Next year, he's he's he I think this past off season is what is what people need to expect from Dejardin. I don't know if he's handicapped by an ownership group that doesn't want to spend money. He says he spent to the cap. I am skeptical of that. Obviously, I don't yeah. know what it is, but I
0: you look at that roster and who did they spend money on? If they did, they overpaid uh, a ton of guys.
1: That, exactly. Like, Brad Sinopoli's probably making good money and deserves it. He's one of the best Canadian receivers in the game. This past season, notwithstanding, he's still a talented player. He's probably one of their higher-paid players. But they lost a $450,000 quarterback. They lost a $200,000 receiver. They lost a $200,000 offensive lineman. William Powell wasn't making much money, so that's you, you swapped him out for someone else. That's not much. But who did they give money to? Where, like, they did just sign a bunch of guys to extensions, maybe that's what he, that's going to be his out, like, oh yeah, we spent to the cap because I used all the excess money we had to get these guys bonuses, you know what I mean? But I think if Desjardins would have been fired, then Campbell probably would have had to go too, because how many times are you going to see a GM come in with a head coach already in place? That's very, very rare. But if the choice was between one of these two guys, Ottawa got this wrong. It should have been Dan. I think it's very possible that we have not seen the Red Blacks sink to the depths that they can sink to yet. This might not be rock bottom. 2019 might not be rock bottom for this team. And if they don't get... Here's the thing, too. Dan's got one year left on his contract. If they don't get this head coaching hire right, and who knows if they will and they stink again next year, are they starting all over once again a year from now? Because you can the head coach, you, or you can the general manager. Like I said, you don't really keep the head coach in those scenarios. So, I don't know, man. This could be sort of the start of them being in the basement for quite some time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be a test for their fans. You know, Can they um, endure... Uh, a couple more years of losing. Uh, I don't know. I hope so. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It, it, you know, it's it's going to be a tough fix, I think. I mean, they they don't have any, you know, pieces in place that uh, I'm impressed with. So, I mean, t- Toronto has a, has a tough go ahead of them as well. Um, Montreal and Hamilton look to be pretty well settled for, you know, they're going to be good next year and years beyond, hopefully, Hamilton anyways. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who, you know, steps it up Toronto or Ottawa. And I would have to go if I were to guess, um, I would say players would rather be involved with, uh, a guy like pinball than a guy like, uh, Marshall Desjardins.
1: I agree. I think the Red Blacks are going to throw a ton of money at a quarterback Mm -hmm. and then be in the same situation BC was this year where, they didn't have any money to spend anyone else. Like they have a pretty expensive offensive line because they keep spending. And this is another thing that I don't really understand about Dan. I think he's been at the helm of seven drafts. And in six of those, they've drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. I get offensive line depth is important, but at some point you have to pick another from another position.
0: Yeah. You got to spread it around a little bit. I mean, there's there's talented players, Canadian players that aren't offensive linemen. And like you said, it, it's very important obviously, but, uh, you know, there's guys out there that you could pick, you know, in the defense or, or wherever that could contribute to the team as well.
1: And there's only five starting positions. And I don't know if you want to start five Canadians along the offensive line. Like Ottawa's offensive line this year was an all Canadian unit and they were terrible.
0: Yeah. Yep. It, I guess it depends on the players, but, uh, Usually, you got at least one American there at a tackle position, like like we do with Riker Matthews.
1: Yeah, I know the Owls for years went with an all Canadian offensive line, and it worked. But they had great offensive linemen. Like I don't think the Red Blacks have that, and it feels just like with every year when they take an offensive lineman in the first round, they're just like compounding. They're they're going after guys they don't need. You, you pick a receiver for crying can't. out loud.
0: Yeah, yeah, you gotta. I mean. Sinopoli is not getting any younger you got to replace him eventually so yeah it would be wise to to change it up instead of just you know stockpiling offensive line after offensive lineman
1: the other coaching casualty that came out this week the Lions fired Devon Claybrooks short and sweet Mike I think this is absolutely idiotic I don't know what the hell Ed Hervey and uh David Braley are thinking this is this is just dumb
0: yeah, I, I totally agree with you on this one. It's like... He just wasn't... He didn't have the tools to... And also, I thought they played a lot better in the second half of the season. So they did. You know, they
1: started 1-10, and yeah. they didn't give up.
0: No, and then you so you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm sure that the players liked playing for, for Clay Brooks. Um, he had a young staff, apparently, but uh, I think this is a knee-jerk reaction. It's just... I would have gave him at least one more year to turn this thing around. And, you know, Ed Hervey has a little bit of a reputation for uh, throwing his coaches under the bus, and this might be uh, another occasion of that.
1: Yeah, I think Ed Hervey's a snake, quite frankly, because I think he saved his own job by ditching Claybrooks here. I just, someone else is going to gain from this, whether Ottawa snaps him up as their head coach or, I mean, it's starting to look like Ottawa and potentially Montreal and Toronto, and Winnipeg, and now BC could all have coaching changes this offseason. Edmonton as well. It could be a coaching... Last year was where the quarterback's going to end up. This year could be where the head coach is going to end up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't see Montreal letting Kahari Jones go, but I mean, crazier things have happened, right? Um, yeah. But someone's going to get Devon Claybrooks, whether they bring him in as a head coach or he get he has to go back and be a dc for another year before he gets the and then takes over a team but someone's going to get a heck of a coach he didn't forget how to coach overnight i thought that the lions once they sort of got the offensive line settled i thought yep. started to play a lot better um they they fired brian chu and brought in i wish i could remember his name lion fans are going to kill me for this but they brought in a new offensive line coach and I thought the team played much better and I will harp on for a young coach especially to start off 1-10 it would be it would have been very easy for those players to tune him out and say what you want about people posting on social media but Deron Carter when that team was like 1-9 or 1-10 or whatever it was said we're gonna make the playoffs and that's a guy that people think is a malcontent and he's not a team player and all that other sort of stuff he had faith in his coach I think he sent a, a tweet out today something like like what the hell or something you know what I mean along those lines more than likely indicating that he was not a fan of this move those guys didn't stop playing for Clay Brooks. they until the very bitter end played their best for him to me that told me he didn't lose the room that told me that mm-hmm. there was there was like you said light at the end of the tunnel Mike Riley comes back healthy maybe they make some roster changes maybe they shore up that offensive line I don't think the Lions were that far off from being competitive this year I don't know man this is this is one of the dumbest moves I think a, a franchise could make one year and you fire that that no
0: yeah one of the the best you know young upcoming coaches that there is right now a, a brilliant defensive mind uh he he just needs more time to uh you know a, adjust to that head coaching position and hopefully I'm hoping he gets another chance somewhere else because I think he he uh he didn't get a fair shake in BC Okay Mike it is that time of
1: year The best time of the year. It is playoff football time. And you know what's beautiful about this week over every other week of semifinal weekend? We don't have to worry about it. We're sitting pretty. We can just watch these games, take in these games, and just enjoy them as fans. There's there's no rooting interest. I don't care who wins either of these games. I'm just hoping for some good football. And we're going to find out who the Tiger Cats are going to be playing in the East final a week from this Sunday. Let's start in the East, Mike. We're the team that will be facing the Ticats in the East Final. It's Edmonton at Montreal. I said it a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago now. That there was everyone's talking about, as they always do, and I think that it's died down a little bit now. Oh, the East going through the East is the easiest route, and blah 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 blah. And I said, whatever team in the West finishes fourth is going to come to Montreal and get absolutely obliterated. I still feel that way. I don't think Edmonton has a hope in this one. I think the Alouettes are just going to wipe the floor with Edmonton in this one. What do you think?
0: I can respect that, but I think it's going to be a little closer. Um, you know, Trevor Harris is back in the lineup with the Eskimos. Uh, the the offense of Edmonton is much better with him behind center. Uh, but I, I think in the end, um, you know, the home crowd is going to help them. Uh, They're going to be excited to play in front of them. They're they're a very talented team. Um, I I just think Montreal is the better team, and will squeak out a win. It might be, you know, around by seven or something like that.
1: Here's why I think the Owls are going to win this by at least two scores, if not three. Edmonton, three and six on the road this year, and they are one and ten, I believe, against games played against playoff teams this year. This reminds me an awful lot of the Ticats last year. We talked ourselves into them being better than they actually were, mostly because we're Ticats fans. But when they had to play an actual real team in the playoffs, we saw what Ottawa did to them. Edmonton going on the road where they haven't been successful, playing an actually good team. And and it is, the Alouettes are the only team that Edmonton, the only playoff team that Edmonton beat this year. And that happened all the way back in week one. I just, I honestly just don't see this ending any other way than the Owls just handing Edmonton their lunch and booking their trip to Hamilton for the East Final.
0: Well, I I think that Edmonton has some things going in their favor. You know, they have a very strong offensive line. Um, I like the running back they've been using over the last couple of weeks. Um, I believe his first name is Shaq. Shaq Shaq, Shaq Cooper. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I I think he has a little bit of a different dimension than C.J. Gable. Yeah. you get those guys going maybe they have a shot but uh, in the end Montreal will prevail in this one
1: the west semifinal to me is way more interesting oh so before we move on i forgot we're both taking the owls in this one yeah yeah okay the west semi Winnipeg at Calgary man i was really hoping the stamps would drop to third place we didn't get that but them playing on semifinal week is is different i think we've only seen that once maybe twice in the last like eight years or something so this is a little bit different for them playing a winnipeg team that beat them twice in the regular season though they lost at mcmahon stadium what do you think man where, where do you see this one going this this to me i know there's only two games this weekend but this to me is the much more intriguing of the two matchups
0: yeah i, w- I would have to agree with that um you know a couple of weeks ago i i thought that calgary was going to make it to the gray cup But, uh, you know, things have kind of changed in Winnipeg. You know, Zach Claros had a really good game in his one start of the season uh, against the Stampeders and and won that game. Um, It's supposed to be, I know the weather can change very quickly in Calgary, but it's supposed to be, I believe, around minus 12 um, for that game. And I think that lends itself to the running game. And I think that Winnipeg has a stronger running game than Calgary. I think by the end of the game, the offensive line is going to be pushing those guys around. Andrew Harris is going to be, you know, racking up the yards. And uh, I know it's tough to tough to pick Winnipeg in this one, but I'm going to go with them. I think they they <clears throat> edge out the Stampeders in a very tight game.
1: I don't like going chalk, picking the home team. It feels lame. I, I kind of agree with you, though, Mike. I think... I think this is going to come down to the run game. And the Stamps had the worst rushing offense in the CFL this year. That in and of itself speaks for where the Bombers have an advantage in this one. Like, I want to say Calgary because it's the easy answer. And it's it's more than likely the right one. But I think the Bombers can go in there and steal this one. I really, really do. We haven't seen a third place team make it to the Grey Cup since 05 which was Edmonton with Ricky Ray made it to the Grey Cup and I'm pretty sure they I think they won it in 05 if I'm not mistaken.
0: Mm, yeah I believe so.
1: I think the Bombers can do it too. I'm not win the I don't know if they I mean I, I they can win the Grey Cup but I mean what about the Zach Calero's revenge tour here? Goes against Calgary first, never played for the Stampeders, but they did beat him in his only Grey Cup appearance so far in his career. To head to Regina to face off against the team that traded him away this year to potentially head to the Grey Cup and play for the team that at one time thought he was going to be their decade-long franchise starter. I mean, it's it's kind of a brilliant story and almost a Hollywood-like story that probably won't happen. But I, I'm with you, man. I think I'm going to take the Bombers in this one. I think you're right. The run game in this is going to be the difference. If it is as cold as mm-hmm. as you are saying, it, it could be in Calgary on Sunday, and it comes down to the running game. I think the bombers. I mean, I know the bombers have the edge. I think I think they squeak one out here.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Zach, and it just adds adds to their offense so much. You know that you have a guy behind center who can actually throw the ball effectively. And you know, semifinals don't really draw that well uh, traditionally in markets. You know, a lot of people don't show up. And if it's that cold, I I don't see Calgary having this. massive home field advantage. I, I don't see a lot of people showing up to this game. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bombers. And, you know, we might be wrong on this one, but, uh, you know, it just feels right right now that the Bombers are going to go in there, change things up, beat the Stampeders, get them the hell out of the playoffs early. And uh, and we'll see Winnipeg, Saskatchewan in the Western Final.
1: And this isn't a knock at Stampeders fans if they if they don't come out in droves for this game, but they're so used to being in the West Final and the Grey Cup is going to be in Calgary. Right. That I could see some some of the like the diehards are gonna be there. They're always gonna be there, right? But I could see some of the some of the casual fans, maybe people who have already plunked down money on Grey Cup tickets going, I mean, our team's really good. I'm only like I'm a fan, but I'm not a super fan, so if it's a little cold, maybe I'll just watch from home. Like, I, you're right, semifinals don't tend to do big box office, or they, they clearly don't do as big a box office as the finals because there's still one game left to play. Maybe Stamps fans are also going, well, maybe we'll head to Regina for the West Final. Or they're, what I think most of them are thinking, the, the ones that are on the fence about going to this game are, well, we got tickets to the Grey Cup in two weeks, and the Stamps are probably going to be there. You know what I mean? And And yeah. you can say that's arrogant thinking, but they've been to the last three, and, I mean, there's no reason to think that they can't get to this one. So yeah, I don't know if the uh, if the crowd will be as robust as it should be for a playoff game. The one in Montreal is going to be. I think they're like less than two thousand tickets away from a an official sellout, and they might even open up some extra areas. But that's that's a playoff starved team. They haven't been to the playoffs in like five years. There's excitement around that franchise for the first time in half a decade. So I understand why why people in Montreal are, are snapping up tickets. But I think that with uber success, which is what Calgary's had, and there's no denying that that can come a little bit of complacency especially for a playoff game that's semifinal weekend as opposed to the hosting the west final
0: yeah and like i don't think it'll just be friends and family out there obviously but no. I, I think it'll just be a re- it'll be a regular regular season crowd uh you know twenty five, twenty six thousand, 26,000 something like that but yeah it's uh i'm really looking forward to this one though I, i'm really really you know you said you didn't uh, weren't really cheering for anyone but uh I'm cheering for the Bombers to be the Stampeders. Uh, <laughs> well, you're, are you cheering I for the Bombers happen.
1: or are you just cheering against the Stampeders?
0: I'm cheering against the Stampeders. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> you know my feelings on Bo and and all that that stuff. So, you know, he he, uh, I think he's gonna have a tough time in the cold um, this upcoming weekend. And uh, well, we're just gonna have to see what happens. But I think it's gonna be a hell of a game.
1: I think it's gonna be a hell of a game too. I play football, man. There's, there's almost nothing better than it because it's one and done and anything can happen. A ball bounces a weird way. And the favorite is eliminated. So we're going to get two great playoff matchups this weekend. We're going to get two more a week from now. And then we're going to be talking gray cup. And this, this is what it is. What we play for the Ty cats have had a hell of a football season, 15 and three, nine and zero at home. It's all awesome. I know a lot of people say it doesn't matter if you don't win the cup. I don't subscribe to that theory. I, I really don't. Mm. I think I think we need to start taking regular season success a little more seriously. Yes, the ultimate prize is to win the Great Cup. But this season's been fun as a TICAP fan, and I hope these playoffs continue to be fun as TICAF fans. But as TICAP fans, we don't have to worry this week. We just can sit back, relax, have a cold beverage and watch some great playoff football, and uh, I think we're in for, for a couple of doozies. CFL playoffs are always – always have that added little bit of extra I – don't, I don't know what it is, man, but there's always something about watching playoff games that I, I just get even more excited for
0: than I do regular yeah, games. The, the games. Yeah, players, and the players step it up a notch. The, the, you know, it's – you know, in every sport, you know, you watch hockey, and it's just like in the regular season, it's – kind of slow and whatever. And then the playoffs come and everyone's going full tail. It's the same way in any other league. And um, yeah, we've, we've been, you know, we've watched some great CFL playoff matchups over the se- over the years. And I expect no different this season. Yeah.
1: It's going to be, it's going to be a fun one on Sunday. Uh, so that was Potsky Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. I'm
0: Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw.
1: Eat 'em raw. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.